Welcome to Pitch Deck, the podcast where startup founders pitch their business to investor angels or established mentors. We provide constructive feedback on both the business and the pitch itself. I'm your host, Nick Telson, and let's jump straight into the pitch studio and meet today's guests. I'm beyond thrilled to welcome Andrew Wilkinson from Tiny, tinycapital.com, to my side of the table for this episode. Someone I hugely admire now in my new life as an investor and operator. Andrew does things differently and helpfully very successfully. He started product and branding agency Metalab in 2006 and was responsible for some of our most loved and used companies such as Slack, Uber Eats, Coinbase, Pinterest and Headspace to name a few. He is often referred to as the Warren Buffett of the internet as he purchases companies using profits from Metalab, which is an alternative strategy to the VC magic money tree of Silicon Valley. Tiny likes companies that have solid revenues, are designed well, have great culture and are profitable, which they then know they can rocket ship. Tiny owns circa 30 companies, the likes of designer platform Dribble and the largest remote work community in the world, WeWork Remotely. With Tiny, Dribble's revenues have 12x and we work remotely 10x in just five years. Andrew also buys local businesses in his hometown of Victoria, Canada, including a bakery, hotel and brewery. Tiny has never relied on outside funding until recently where it launched a $150 million fund to buy more businesses and for their own company, WeCommerce, that has raised $60 million, which is now on the Canadian Stock Exchange with a market cap of circa $1 billion. WeCommerce buys and builds businesses that sit solely on the Shopify ecosystem. Finally, Andrew also does some angel investing, but more as side bets for things that look super interesting or that mates bring to him. And I can also put my money where my mouth is with Andrew as we at Horseplay Ventures are partnering with one of his companies, Z1, to be our product builder partner for our Horseplay startup studio. So Andrew, absolutely thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. That was a very fulsome introduction that covered all the bases. So I don't know uh, what else there is to say, but <laughs> thank you. The one note I would say is that our uh, market cap of WeCommerce is no longer $1 billion. Our stock is down a little bit, unfortunately. Other than that, that was a really great intro. Perfect. Before we go into the um, startup studio to hear today's founder pitch, I just want to ask you a few questions, of course. So when Tiny buys a company, does there tend to be a playbook of things you know you can do that will then put it on a different trajectory? Not necessarily. So the way we look at it is we want to buy the business for a fair price based on where it's at today under the current ownership and strategy. And we want to buy it for a price where if we're wrong about any growth assumptions, we can actually still make our money back, right? So we're not buying some future opportunity. We're buying what the founder has built and we're paying them for that. And then we're also looking at the business and going, what are the opportunities within? And often one of the things we've noticed is that most founders are product focused. That's often the profile, they're a developer or designer, or they just really fixate on product. And so one of the opportunities we found is finding businesses that have been very successful with a product-focused founder, but haven't really considered marketing and sales and other best practices. So often we are looking at it and going, okay, there's an opportunity for us to unlock some value by doing those things. But if we're wrong about them, we're not going to lose our shirt. Mm-hmm. And do most come to you directly or through networks? Yeah, generally. I mean, we do a lot of podcasts like this. Uh, we tweet, uh, we um, you know, speak sometimes. And generally, most people just come to us um, and they've kind of opted in. They've you know, heard our message somewhere and they find it refreshing because private equity makes this much more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, for sure. And I've heard you talk about your admiration for an airport business, which is a term you've coined. Can you explain what that is and why you like it so much? Well, there's really only one or two airports in any major city. And if you want to go anywhere on a plane, you've got to go sit in one. So when you think about how that applies to internet businesses, you want to buy a business where it's so good that people naturally congregate there so an example that I like to use is Dribble, which is a business we bought about six, five or six years ago. 
it's the largest design community in the world. So all the world's best designers, uh, you know, graphic, 3D artists, uh, product designers, et cetera, go there every day for inspiration and to give feedback and find jobs and stuff. So people congregate there just like an airport. And in an airport, when you've got a whole bunch of gates and a whole bunch of people waiting, you've got, you know, a thousand people sitting in a, a lobby, essentially, you have a whole bunch of stalls lining the wall. And you can choose what to sell them. So if there's a thousand people there, some people might want grilled cheese sandwiches. Some people might want a massage. Some people might want to buy some magazines. And so over time, you can fill those stalls and sell them different things. And it gives you a lot of optionality because there's always going to be a lot of people sitting there. So that, that's kind of how I think about airport businesses. And they're very rare because most businesses compete with thousands of others, right? The reason I like air, airports is there's only a few of them, um, you know, per city. And obviously, you're, you're not running all these companies, so you need to find CEOs to, to put into them to run. I think it'd be very interesting for, for our listenership is sort of what, what type of person for you makes that great CEO slash founder? Well, I always say if you're going to build a house, you probably want to find a general contractor who's built a lot of similar houses. So the same size, the same style, same kind of engineering methodology, et cetera. You don't want to go and go down the street and find some neighborhood kid who is learning carpentry and say, go build me a house. And so in that same vein, when we hire a CEO and we you know, learned this the hard way by hiring a lot of the wrong people over the last 15 years, um, we've realized that just hiring people who have already done the thing that you want is a pretty good strategy. So generally what we're looking for is an executive or um, CEO or COO or someone very senior in a business that's about double the size doing something very similar. And generally we bring them in and we say, look, this is a phenomenal business. Here's all the things we've noticed. We'd love it if you do these, you know, two or three things. We think these are low hanging fruit. But after that, you know, go do whatever you want. And, you know, we just trust you. And we actually uh, leave our CEOs alone pretty much as much as they want. So there's some CEOs we have that we might talk to maybe once every year or two. And there's others that will text me, you know, every couple of weeks with a question or want us, want our opinion on a lot of stuff. But we really just let them run their businesses. And obviously, there's a, a big focus on company cultures at the moment and an employee mental well-being, etc. So when you're looking for a CEO to put in a company, are you also looking for them to be a cultural fit to the company you've purchased or necessarily you will then build the company culture around the person you've put in? Buying a business and swapping out a founder is like you know, getting like an organ implanted or something. So the body will naturally reject the organ if you don't choose very carefully. And so we are very thoughtful. If we if we see like a with Dribble, Dribble's a great example. Dribble had an amazing business opportunity, but it's a very creative community that would reject anyone that seemed too business oriented. So if we brought in some cheesy CEO, you know, with a Harvard MBA who used a bunch of buzzwords that wasn't going to work. So we we're very lucky to find Zach Anisco, who had actually run a bunch of creative communities before. He was a former designer who, had, who was kind of turned growth marketer, and he was able to come in and talk the talk. And you know, in that instance, uh, it resonated really well, and we had great success. We have had a few misfires over the years, um, and that's always a, a real challenge. But that that is kind of ultimately the one thing i do the most important thing i do outside of buying a business is choosing management and that's where things can either be amazing or they can be absolutely terrible you can take the same business and have a good ceo versus a bad ceo and the outcome is completely different yeah 100 percent agree with that um and you obviously own as i mentioned a bakery hotel brewery so are you also as excited by companies that people might look at as more old school sort of solid businesses rather than tech unicorns and also do you think there is a shift towards appreciating businesses like you know laundromats storage facilities hospitality over the tech space now well i think the problem with tech is that ultimately everything you build is totally ephemeral so you know if you're building a code base within a year it doesn't exist anymore it's turned over like the you know cells in a body or something like that and so you never really have any staying power and so 
you know, when I look back across 15 years in all of our tech businesses, we've done a tremendous amount. We've, you know, produced a lot of cash flow. We've paid a lot of people. We've made a lot of customers happy. But at the end of the day, I can't point to something I've produced. You know, I can't point to a, a table that we've built or a speaker we built or, you know, nothing tangible. And so, you know, for the first five or six years, I really craved tangibility and I started investing in brick and mortar businesses, mostly just because I wanted to see what it was like to run a brick and mortar business. And what I realized in starting a restaurant and investing in a variety of these different businesses is, oh my God, brick and mortar is so hard. And I think I was just profoundly lucky to not start in brick and mortar because it is incredibly difficult, low margin, very complicated. I mean, people think running an internet business is complicated. Like they have no idea what it's like to run a restaurant or a more traditional business. Uh, I think we're very spoiled in tech. That said, I have a love and fascination with those businesses. Um, So it's not my core thesis. I don't, you know, go out and put all my money into it, but I just really enjoy participating in our community. And I like being a part of something local um, and knowing that we're providing a service that wouldn't otherwise exist. And can you tend to pick up those deals at better prices because, you know, some of them might be someone that's run it their whole life and they were going to retire anyway and maybe even give give up the business. But, you know, Tiny can come in and say, well, actually, we'll, we'll pay you X for this business and take it off your hands versus, you know, the, the hugely inflated valuations around tech. Yeah. And I think there's a reason why the valuations of tech companies are much higher. So, you, you know, you can go and buy a food and beverage business for two to five times EBITDA, right? Depending on how long it's been around. And if you think about that, you know, that means you're making a really nice yield. You know, you're making 20 or 30% a year, most likely. Um, So that's not bad, but you'll never do better than that. And the business can't grow its earnings forever, right? So if you have a, a local neighborhood restaurant or pub or something like that, Maybe it can earn $100,000 a year of profit, but the odds of it ever doing $2 million of profit are next to impossible. So the problem is you're always paying tax on the profits and you have to deploy it elsewhere. So if you have other places to profitably deploy it, then that's great. But what the dream is, you know, Warren Buffett talks about businesses that can compound and reinvest their capital. That's really what you want. And that's what you can find in tech quite easily. And finally, you um, obviously see a lot of decks, whether it be for acquisition or, you know, as I mentioned, you do some angel investing as well. When you see a deck for a business, what is really needed at that point to sort of pique your interest? Well, first and foremost, I want it to look good. I, I really don't like it when a deck isn't designed, when people don't take a little bit of care to tidy it up. I need to understand on a very high level, you know, what is the opportunity? Uh, what is the competitive landscape? Why would people choose this over, you know, other stuff? What I hate and what I see always, which I think is just the name of the game, is crazy projections. So, you know, up and to the right, you know, always. I, I think that's kind of required for a lot of VCs, but I don't really think about business in that way. I'm kind of going in the next year, what can this look like? And if it's right in the next year, you know, what can that compound into? But you know, whatever. I'm I'm not a traditional VC. I, I I'm much more conservative, and I generally think of these businesses and go, if this doesn't work, and you're not right about the big hairy audacious goal, is there still a backup plan business here? Can you pivot this and make it a small business? Maybe not a venture scale business, but you know, a, a good smaller business. But again, that's kind of my approach to business, which is very unique, and I'm not investing out of a hyper-diversified venture fund where I make 100 bets typically, although we do now have an angelist rolling fund we've started using to kind of magnify our bets. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that that's something we put emphasis on at Horseplay as well is, yeah, we're not interested about the TAM slide and then how you're going to hit that and how it's going to be worth a billion in five years. It's how realistic is the next few years? How realistically are you going to get to profit and, you know, what do we have to do over the next few years to get to that, which doesn't include pumping in millions and millions of dollars to get that scale that you require? Totally. I generally look at, um, I, I recently shared a tweet about my experience bootstrapping a productivity app against Asana. And I compared the experience to BG invading the United States, right? These guys had aircraft carriers, they'd raised tons of money. 
I was there with a machine gun and an inflatable dinghy and, you know, I was trying to invade them and it's just impossible. So one of the things I look for is, you know, who are the competitors and who are they going up against? Because, um, you know, if you're bringing a knife to a gunfight, it's not going to work out. And what I love to see is um, there's a great Charlie Munger quote, fish where the fish are. I love venture businesses that are going after something that no one else is looking at that just appears super boring or technical or off the beaten path or maybe a small market or something because you just don't have to compete with people. And competition ultimately, as long as you've got product market fit, other than that, competition is really what kills these businesses. You've got, you know, you're spending, you're able to spend three bucks to acquire a user. Someone else can spend 10 because they have, you know, 10 years of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's great, great points. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great segue into today's founder. Thanks for those answers. And without further ado, let's bring in Will, who is today's founder from a company called Circle. So Will, welcome to Pitch Deck, and you have three minutes to make your pitch. Thanks for having me, Nick, and uh, pleasure to meet you, Andrew. So yeah, look, I'm here to pitch Circle. So Circle is a totally new live action pool betting experience designed for you and your mates. We are a mobile first proposition, bringing a concept that has never seen, been seen before in this space. Uh, Circle's core game mechanics is driven by real-time data that's provided by our sports data provider, Opta, of which ultimately moves the pot round a circle of mates based on the events happening within a game. Our mission is to change the way the world watches and bets within live sports. What's more, we aim to become the people's betting experience, focusing on social inclusion, not addictive exclusion. There's two fundamental reasons why I believe we'll achieve this. Firstly, Circle can make sport watchable for everyone, and we can create a common ground and a gender point for all involved. This is from your savvy sports bettors, your first timers, all the way through to those who couldn't give a crap about sport and have found themselves in a position where over the years, they've always found themselves in groups of people watching a game that they're not interested in. The moral of the story with point one is that Circle provides a totally new dimension to the way you can watch and interact with the game. You do not have to be an expert to be in with a chance of winning. And I think that's a really, really key point that we can talk about afterwards. The absolute worst case scenario for point two, your mate wins, uh, which in some user cases could mean you still win. You know, we're not a bookie. All we need to do is take a small 10% rake from each of the circle jackpots. And in betting terms, if you had six of your mates in a circle, then your odds are simply six to one, which for anyone that knows the betting space, it's not bad odds. Our secret source now building onto kind of our biggest challenges in the space. One of the biggest challenges we have of being a startup in the sports betting space is the cost of acquisition. Large betting operators hemorrhage cash just to stay in the fight for share of wallet because in the sportsbook world, customer loyalty is almost non-existent. This can typically look around around the £150 per customer in terms of acquisition. So if you're wanting to survive in this space, there's two things that you must do. Firstly, the first point is don't be a copycat sports book like every other new entrant tries to be. That's where, you know, quite frankly, you're going up against giants and you're just not going to survive. Two, you need to find innovative ways to reduce your CAC spend. And that's what I want to kind of alleviate on here today. Because Circle is a social betting experience, we rely on you playing with your mates. But in theory, I need to acquire you, Nick, or you, Andrew, to acquire your mates as a result. We factored in a free bet referral model into our marketing spend to help incentivize the social vehicle. But ultimately, when it comes to our, our unit economics, we're factoring for every customer that we spend £150 on, we hope to and expect to acquire three more. We've already pitched this to several gambling-specific VCs, that have stressed that you know our, our unit, unit economics are, are fairly conservative. We haven't been laughed out the door, which is always an important thing. Um, but that is our as a key factor in how we reduce our customer acquisition spend and very much promote one of our core brand offerings, which is this socially inclusive concept. Funding wise, 
basically, as of last week, we actually closed our pre-seed funding round. We're currently in the process of just having some final discussions with a sports tech VC that would like to become our lead investor, which is looking like a top up in this round, as well as subscription agreement for the next. We also have other UK VCs interested in our next funding round, as well as US VCs expressing appetite for a proposition like Circle over there too, which um, is a slight rabbit hole, but we can certainly have have a discussion about it. And that is me. Brilliant. Thank you. So before I bring in Andrew to ask, start the questioning, I just want to make sure that I've got the concept clear in my head. So you're saying you have, let's say, six mates in a circle on the app and we all put in a tenner. So there's 60 quid in the pot. And basically, whoever wins moves based on what happens in the match. So if someone gets a red card, the pot might shift to my mate on the right side of me. If someone gets a yellow card, the pot might shift two to the left. If there's a substitution, the pot might shift three to the right. So basically anything that's happening in a match can affect who lands with the pot at the end of 90 minutes. Exactly that, Nick. Exactly that. So, so basically, if you could imagine, if we were using six people, six people in, in a circle, 60 quid in the pot. Now, let's just say we have used the rules, goals, yellow cards, red cards, and substitutions, for example. Goal in this instance would be plus five clockwise. A red card could be minus six anti-clockwise, yellow card minus two anti-clockwise, and a sub could be plus one clockwise. And all we're doing quite simply is creating a a real-time game mechanic that feeds live data into our platform based on an event, a particular event that we've just mentioned happening in a game and the jackpot moving to the person with the respective event that's happened, such as a goal. And it's the first that I've seen, of course, you know, famous last words, but it's the first I've seen of a concept like this that focuses on real-time events in a pool betting mechanism that focuses within friends. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So Andrew, yeah, let's, I'll let you kick off with some, some questions and I'll jump in as and when. So how did you come up with this idea? Is this like a personal passion? Yeah, well, I can give you the, I'll try and give you the the 30 second lowdown of it, Andrew, basically, because how I came about this idea without trying to sell it short was almost out of drunken desperation. And it was actually at a, it was at a a reunion with mates. Uh, I managed to score some tickets to a football game down south, which is uh, Southampton Crystal Palace. I'm not too sure how glued up you are on, uh, on soccer and over here, Andrew, but to put it lightly, it's a fairly average game of football, very low, poor clubs. I noticed, and this was Circle in its rawest concept, I noticed that the ball was going out of touch a lot. It was going out for throw-ins, corners, goal kicks. And I just said to the guys, look, it was, it was November 2019. I took my hat off. It was free. It was in November. It was freezing cold. And uh, uh, I said, guys, everyone put a fiver into the hat. Each time the ball goes out of play, pass the hat on. And when we get to half time, whoever has the hat keeps it. And within sort of 10 to 15 minutes watching the game, you know, I can still see it clear as day. I look to my right. And, you know, just to give you a bit of an idea of the, the group that I'm with, there are some guys there that are big football fans. There's some that couldn't care less, right? And yet I look to my right and everyone is engaged in this game that is boring, okay? At that point, I was like, okay, something's, there's something here, but I don't, <laughs> I, don't entirely, I don't exactly know what it is. And as the kind of game evolved, you know, one of my mates said to me, you know, this was kind of a bit of the light bulb moment, you know, it was a, well, why don't we... Uh, why don't we also add some more things into the mix? You know, why don't we do it each time the ref referee blows his whistle? Uh, and, you know, and it was more of that. The, the light bulb moment for me wasn't the actual rule itself. It was the thought of what if we could create an environment where you can bring in different events that happen within a game of sport, you know, and I'll explain the bigger, bigger concept here, really. But what events can you bring in from football in this instance, or in a game of sport where it can impact how a circle of money moves. Does it, as we've mentioned before, there's a goal, 
take it plus four, plus five clockwise. There's a yellow card, make it go backwards too. And suddenly all you are doing is adding this subtle, and it's, it's ever so subtle calculation to the way that you're watching the game. Would you describe it like, I, lo- I love when, I mean, there's a little, it's a little bit of a, a lame thing sometimes, but it can really help other times is having a one sentence pitch, right? So Uber for X or whatever. The immediate thing that came to mind here was almost Venmo. Do you guys have that in the UK? It's basically like a very simple way to share, um, you know, restaurant bills, send money to your friends back and forth or whatever. And they won the market by just being really, really simple and focused on small transactions and group buying and stuff. I feel like that's actually a really interesting analog for this. So is this soccer only? So for MVP, so we're launching naturally. So in the UK, again, to, to, to mention, it's, it's the biggest uh, sports betting market in the world. And football takes up 72% of the, the share of wallet for sports betting. So it was our first point of call. But the bigger question, as you touched on rightly, Andrew, is yes, we will be looking to, once we've refined our proposition and our, and our platform, we'll be looking to branch us into other sports. Sorry, I realized I called it soccer. I should be saying football. Yeah, um, I'm also trying to bridge to that too. <laughs> I love, I love this idea of like the weird, you know, the weird thing. Like every time there's a header, you can you can bet on that. I almost, I feel like you could probably do really, really well by being unique. My concern is that you're too general and too similar to the other betting platforms. That at the end of the day, you could do this on the crappier, bigger ones. And I do think you can obviously compete on design. I think your design is really great. I'm really impressed with all that so far. And I think I'm sure that the other betting platforms are quite ugly and complicated. I was going to ask, have you thought about narrowing it even more? Like, for example, like only doing headers or only doing yellow cards or something kind of random that people who are soccer fans go, oh my God, there's this hilarious app. We should all bet on on headers. And then every time there's a, a header in the game, you've got half the audience erupting in, you know, excitement or whatever. And people are going, why, you know, why are they freaking out? And then that almost becomes a viral mechanism for people to download the app and get into it. And I can also imagine you're pitching a journalist, you know, hey, we made a sports betting app only for headers or only for yellow cards or whatever it is. That would be something they would write about. But saying, hey, we're doing better group sports betting. It's like not that exciting, even if it's better product and stuff. So have, have you thought about that at all? Totally. You know, so look, like I've always had a vision for for Circle to be a much more niche uh, and unique experience in terms of focusing on more quirky metrics within the game. You know, so typically a lot of sports books focus on the the typical metrics you would expect, you know, uh, you know, goals, how many yellow cards, how many corners, you know, whatever. But for us, I think where where perhaps, you know, and this is maybe refining the proposition, but where I believe personally, we differ a lot to sports books. Okay. You know, we're, we're very much a pool betting concept. So it's very, very different to a lot of the bookies out there where typically you, you put on odds based on, uh, it's you versus the operator, basically, you know, you, they, they provide the odds, uh, and you are putting down a, a wager for them to, to give you a respective return if it comes in. And I don't, I think where there's been a lack in this market is focusing on propositions that can meet the demands of the millennial and like the digital natives and focusing more on mobile first propositions that are against the grain, that are slightly quirky, like you've touched on, Andrew, where, you know, for example, some of the rule concepts that we've got in, in the pipeline are things such as each time the ball hits the referee could be a bit of an instant cash out and, um, you know, we we were contemplating streaker on the pitch, but these uh, th- those are the sort of things that can get rigged. So <laughs> so probably not. But the bigger factor is is that we are creating an experience that is triggered off real time data. And I think we haven't seen, especially sports books, they don't compete in that space. We we are very much different to that particular segment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's cool. I want to, the other thing I was going to say is it might be worth showing the design of the other competitors side by side with what you're doing, because I would assume that yours probably looks a thousand times better. And uh, I think it would kind of drive home. Hey, look, this is the Robin hood of, Hmm. of sports betting, right? You know, the other ones are like the traditional crappy stockbrokers. And this is like the cool hip millennial app. That's really cool. 
what about the product? Like, where is it at? You've got this video, you've got the, the designs, but have you actually built this yet? Yeah. So t- to be honest, I mean, you know, the, this is going back to like almost November last year, you know, this, it just shows it takes time to, it takes time to build, build good products. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, since, since the investor prototype video that we did there, uh, which was, you know, done, done on, whipped up on Fiverr, you know, just to kind of captivate some attention. We've, we've really pushed on with our, with our app development. Um, you know, we're pretty much 99% complete. I think it's just the final licks of paint. We've received our license in the UK. So, so we're looking to launch in August, uh, for the start of the Premier League season. Awesome. And how much you guys, you're raising 350K, which doesn't seem like a lot. Is that primarily to acquire customers or what? Pretty much predominantly. So, you know, our our team, the founding team that's that's involved, you know, we've pretty much built the product in-house. We've worked with our design, an external design team, that um, a great set of guys. Uh, and at this stage, the, the funding was to support uh, small salaries for the, for the full-time employees that are on. Uh, and then also just to mainly predominantly support uh, acquisition spend. It doesn't seem like a lot. What would your plan be? Like if you start seeing it working, are you going to do another raise really quick? It, exactly that. You know, this stage is, is to prove product market fit. You know, so at the moment we're, we're going in with, there's some target metrics that we'd like to hit. So we're looking at something on the lines of, you know, in the first year, 12 month forecast, we want to anticipate to try and hit 10,000 users um, with a blended cost of acquisition of 31 quid. Uh, and an LTV of eighty-eight pounds. If we find ourselves, you know, there's going to be a lot. We're not going to hit that from from the get-go. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that for us, it's not about necessarily generating revenue in the early stages. It's proving traction, proving is this a product that customers like to come back again and again and again and play with different content, different game types, different fixtures. So yes. Who else are you aware of in this space? Because there must be competitors that are up and coming. There are betting operators that focus on a social twist. So, for example, Betbull, who are a tipster-driven uh, marketplace, whereby you can follow tipsters. Uh, you know, someone who's who's got a particular good track record, and you you know they will they will post their bets that they're putting on for that weekend or that game or whatever it may be. And there's this kind of social hybrid of yes you know you can follow follow them and also gain insight and potentially you know gain money and i think that's a really cool concept but the the core uh circle game mechanic so to speak is very much new a new concept to market which is for good and for worse you know the fact that this that i've not seen anything like this you strikes questions on you know why because it's so simple but two you know if you want to thrive in this space, you have to bring something new and it has to be in a way that you can try and acquire customers for less. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of these, these new entrants are focusing on that kind of social element to their product. And do you have, I don't know if this is good or bad, but because you're going in with a new product, but do you have betting experience in your team? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, our, our non-exec and a co-founder of mine that joined me right at the early stages, Eddie, He's ex-Skybet. Um, he helped found and launch a big free-to-play acquisition tool in Sky called Sky Super Six, um, which is still one of the largest free-to-play acquisition tools um, used in the UK. Uh, and he, he moved all the way up to head of mobile and looked after some of the main channels: uh, Sky Casino, Sky Vegas, Skybet. So that was brilliant. We've also got our um, CTO Mark, who was from originally from a, a prop tech company called Mojo Mortgages. And has been in the app space for for a long time now. He's been very much a digital wizard when it comes to to building uh, all of our product in house. You know, it saved us it saved us a, a hell of a lot of money uh, coming up to this stage for sure. I just want to ask, uh, throw a few sort of touchy feely questions at you to do with sort of like gameplay. Do you said um, you think non sports people would enjoy Circle? I want to challenge you on that. So in what instances do you think, let's say you've got five mates on a WhatsApp group, three of them don't care about sport or two of them don't care about sport. 
Do you not have to really be watching the game to get the enjoyment of a header or the ball going out and then the pot moving versus, oh, I'm just going to chuck 10 quid into this circle because all my mates are doing it and I'll check back in 90 minutes to see I've won. Off the back of that, do you, obviously in the UK, we've got a big pub culture where you go and watch football or sport with your friends at the pub. Do you think this would also work if you are not together cheering and joking and sort of watching the, the match together? Yes. So look, so firstly, to answer your first point of that question, yes, I do believe that this appeals to a wider audience. Uh, the main reason is, is that sport in general is an agenda point. No matter, you know, I'm only speaking off behalf of, you know, my friendship circle. You know, we've got, I've got a number of mates who are big sports fans, of course. But then I've also got mates that, that are not and yet find themselves very much in social environments, you know, whereby if you could be engaged in the game, it would make your day a hell of a lot better because typically there, there is a lot of uh, situations where you find yourself at the pub with mates, maybe watching the game uh, or the game's on, you know, everyone else is engrossed in it, but you can't because you're struggling to find a way to interact, a way to engage. And typically, Sports betting has always been focused on that 1%, that sports savvy knowledge guy who, you know, puts his, puts his knowledge to the test in order to, to try and gain some money back. Uh, and I think this is more about a way of creating an agenda that you can all relate to and have a conversation and a bit of banter about. And I, I, I can really see some real world scenarios where that's going to be implemented. But additionally, to kind of answer your caveat of, do you have to be in a pub to watch this or do you have to be watching the game? I don't necessarily think so. I think to, of course, to watch the game in conjunction, this is, this is very much a companion experience. So to watch the game would be beneficial, but I don't think you necessarily have to be in the same room together whilst playing circle. You know, I think we've all known, especially off the back of this last year or two, we've seen the importance of, you know, highly engaging social, uh, like WhatsApp groups, other means to connect with your mates in ways that you would originally have physically done so. So again, I, I think this also just warrants, especially with this kind of new age coming off the back of all of this, you know, COVID related matters, that there is going to be a desire for new ways that you can interact with your mates. Uh, and, I, and I think this is, this is something that could really f fall into that category. A final question from me before uh, Andrew, if he's got any other final questions, is so your product guy, you've got a CTO, you've got an ex-high flyer in the betting scene. So that's yeah. all great. For me, the concept makes sense. It sounds fun. You invite your friends. There's your customer acquisition. What's your strategy on getting this app out there? As, as Andrew says, you're not raising one, two, three, four million. So how are you going to go and acquire those first sort of 2,000, 4,000 that then turn into 20,000? Sure. So, so firstly, we've had a bit of a pre-launch waiting list set up now for the short term. We're, we're about to run a competition um, very soon just to try and acquire a few more. And, uh, and at the moment, we've, we've currently got, I think it's around about three to 400 uh, signups at the moment. We only started it about a week ago. We are going to incentivize and put a bit of money into the, uh, to, to summarize, our main social channels are going to be Facebook and Instagram. And we're going to use that predominantly to run all of our campaigns uh, when it comes to paid social. Our first campaign is going to be this early stage competition that I've just mentioned. Uh, upon launch, we will then run again, feed some more money into Instagram, Facebook, uh, of which we'll just be pumping a lot of our paid social ads. But our main vehicle, that we hope, you know, it's, it's a huge decision maker for us in terms of how we can build on this too, is proving that our free bet mechanism. So for every friend that you refer, you get five pounds and your mate gets five pounds. And we have factored that into the marketing spend. That's a big vehicle for us. Uh, and, you know, as I've touched on about our secret source, like ultimately, in order to play circle, you need to be able to play with your mates. And that doesn't necessarily have to be in the same room. It's just you have to have other mates that you've invited in order to play. So we're trying to incentivize that process to ensure that users are in a position where they feel it's in their interest to spread the word, basically. Okay, I got it.
I'd say that's my biggest concern as well is like you clearly have a great product and I think you'll be able to execute on that, but you're going to need to figure out what the levers of growth are. So I would really want to see like a CMO, VP marketing, you know, growth person get hired really quick before I would be like super bullish. That's the big question is like, you can always build a better product, but will people use it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, you know, we're in a position guys where with this product, like if we weren't, there's there's been a saying I know, but if if we weren't embarrassed by the first iteration of our product, then you know we've launched too late. Like I, I think I think there is there is so we've we've got a pipeline of different concepts that we want to try. You know, there's certainly there isn't just a one plan here. It's very much to test a couple of concepts out in our first three to five months. One of which I've explained to you, which I've just touched on there, how the the pot moves around. It's called the shifter. Um, there's another one that's focusing more on each time an event happens, you gain points and the player with the most points at the end of the circle wins. There's a couple of twists that all falls back to our core flagship product of being in a circle of mates and that real-time data is, is moving the pot or doing an action for you. But as we grow into the next year, we, we do have ambitions, as Andrew, uh, you mentioned, we, we want to bring in a VP of marketing. Uh, this would be following our next uh, round of funding, which for our seed, we're looking to try and raise 750K. Okay, perfect. So time is against us, unfortunately. So I feel like we could chat a lot longer, but we're going to have to call it a day there. So we have time for Andrew and myself to do a summary outside the pitch studio. But Will, thank you very much for pitching Circle to us today. It's a pleasure to be on here. Thank you very much. Are you a budding entrepreneur or just starting out? Well, maybe this podcast is just for you. I'm Anna Flockett, editor of Startups Magazine, and our podcast, The Serial Entrepreneur, brings you stories, journeys, and lessons from some of the most inspirational startups and business founders out there. Talking to these innovative startups, we delve deep into some of the challenges they face, lessons they've learned along the way, with a sprinkling of inspirational advice. We want to bring you some of the most interesting and exciting stories, as well as advising you along the way to give you the best insights and knowledge from inside the industry. You can find us by searching The Serial Entrepreneur, as in your breakfast cereal, into any streaming service or by going to startupsmagazine.co.uk. So it's just myself and Andrew outside the pit studio now. So yeah, Andrew, let me hear your thoughts first. So I think it's a really neat concept. I like the idea of building the Robin Hood of betting. And I, I like that it's you know social and mobile first, and I think that probably makes a lot of sense. I haven't actually personally downloaded the apps, but I would assume that it would be akin to Robinhood competing against a bunch of big banks. Uh, it looks like there's a lot of these big old school betting companies that have bought up all these apps. So I assume the app experience sucks. So that's not necessarily enough to compete on fully, but I think that's a good start. Personally, I think really zeroing in on a few things like headers, ball hits the ref, um, you know, I, I don't know, like a field goal. Like, I, I don't Sorry, I don't know all the terminology, but <laughs> random, random events, I think is yeah. actually really funny. And I yeah. think that might actually drive a lot of virality because people would say, oh, there's this hilarious app where you can bet on just headers or these odd events. And like I said, in the pitch, I think you'd get a lot of people talking about that because it's so unique and kind of a funny idea. Given the amount of money he's raising, my biggest concern is just how is he going to acquire customers? He's really going to have to, you know, he's going to have to basically deploy 50,000 pounds or something into customer acquisition and hope it works because if it doesn't, no investor is going to put money in after this. I would personally be raising a lot more money in this environment. I'd be trying to raise, you know, one to three million pounds probably to give more breathing room. But I get that they don't want to take dilution and all that. As an investor, I think I'd put a small amount of money into this round, but I'd probably want to wait for the next one uh, once they have some validation. So you see it more as like, from an investor point of view, a bit of a classic sort of pre-launch, like the concept, here's a small check, let's see if you can actually deliver. If you don't, you know, we walk away fine. If you do, then, you know, it could really scale onto something bigger and better. Yeah, I've just learned over and over again, like if 
people don't understand customer acquisition and nail that, it just doesn't work ever. I've never seen an amazing product grow without some sort of customer acquisition strategy that really works. And so that could be the notoriety of, you know, positioning it as the Robin Hood and making it super unique and different and really setting itself apart. Mm -hmm. My worry is if it's just, hey, it's the same thing all the other guys are doing with a slightly better interface that's mobile first. I don't know if that's compelling enough. And then they have so little capital to grow that, you know, I just, they might find themselves orphaned. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, I do the old bet here and there, but some of the terms Will was using were sort of over my head. And I, I imagine I'm the type of customer they really need to win to then, you know, make this go mass. So I totally agree with, you know, finding a few gimmicks to play on and and a short line like the Venmo or the Robin Hood of social betting is some really triggers, some key sort of levers they really totally. need to pull. To, I, w- to- I would almost rename it like headers and mm-hmm. only make it headers, right? It's just yeah. headers. And it's this hilarious thing that, like I said, like the entire stadium explodes when whenever there's a header and it grows every game because more and more people are doing this stupid betting app. And then over time, you expand outside headers. But that could be a really interesting hook. Yeah. It really gamifies one simple thing. Some of the interface stuff I was looking at where it's showing like odds and other stuff and all the different stuff you can bet on. I kind of went like, you should just cut the scope down and make it a lot simpler. Yeah, I love that. And finally, what quite excites me about this, we didn't touch upon it, but you know, listening to it and seeing the deck was beyond sports so you know when you're watching shark tank or dragon's den or x factor or you know any type of these sort of let's call them viral tv shows where you know you and your friends could all bet on you know do they do the deal do they don't do the deal every time mark cuban says x the pop moves i feel like there's a much bigger scope beyond sports which could also be quite exciting i think the issue is legality right because i know in the states uh you know sports betting is still heavily regulated in canada they're just opening it up i don't think the regulatory environment moves to -to day-to-day stuff like that for another five or ten years but i agree it's super cool i love the idea of betting on like oh you know the apple keynote how many times does you know tim cook say the word magical you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love that Brilliant. So yeah, I think um, we'll we'll leave it there. So thank you so much for joining us today, Andrew. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. Yeah, that was really fun. Thanks for having me. So it's just me outside the pitch studio now for my final summary. Um, I thought that was a really interesting episode that we didn't, you know, really dig, dig deep on the team and revenues and forecasts, especially as Andrew is such a product guy. I thought it was really interesting that we sort of drilled in more around products and scaling that product rather than the sort of nuts and bolts that you'd expect to get in a pitch. Um, I think that's just a good lesson to know who you're pitching to, you know, be prepared for questions around their speciality. As Andrew himself said, that Tiny, you know, for example, love to see companies that are designed great. And that was the first thing he mentioned about Circle, because we've seen the physical deck before the show, that it it was designed great. So I quite enjoyed that we were looking at more the broad brushstrokes of the business. My main concern was definitely around marketing. Um, I think Will came across very assured. One of his co-founders is a CTO that's built app products for years and years and years, big tick. The other one built Skybet, <laughs> big tick on that as well. Um, and Will seems very credible himself too. So from a, a founding team, that three is pretty ace. But definitely in my mind, and Andrew alluded it too, is, is the marketing. And on that question around marketing, I felt the answer was a little bit fluffy. You know, we'll, we'll use Facebook and we'll use Insta. And we'll, we will be relying on the sort of refer a friend mechanism. You know, I would hope to have a bit more fun, as Andrew is alluding to, like, you know, maybe you launch a spin-off called Headers or something that as an investor, you think, okay, these guys, you know, are really going to get this out there. After all, you know, if you are an app competing against huge behemoths in the sports betting world, you need to differentiate yourself some way and using terms like social pool betting stuff like that i think will go over people's heads i'd be really excited about how it can grow beyond football yes into other sports 
Also, you could do it on, you know, a lot more amateur sports. You could see a bunch of parents watching their kids' football matches on the weekends, making it a bit more interesting. I don't know how they'd get the data for that. But yeah, I think I was very interested as well in how this can go into television. I think the regulations are a bit different here in the UK. So yeah, could they, you know, do one around Love Island, for example? I think that type of thing is what will get the virality going and will open it up to the mass market, you know, way beyond just your sports betters. So I think that is really exciting for me. The other obvious thing, which a lot of you may be thinking is probably the moat. So how difficult is it to replicate this gameplay? You know, what stops Sky Bet doing this? And you can't launch a startup always thinking the what if a big company does X, Y, Z. But I think you just have to be very aware. And I think the way Will was talking about iterating on the first 200, 300 grand that they've raised to test the market, try some iterations, then they'll bring in someone marketing on the next round after three or four or five months to then rocket it sounds a bit cumbersome to me. Um, I really think that they need to really, you know, shoot off from the start that they have this unique gameplay and really get scale as quick as possible before any of the big boys even have time to catch up. But all in all, I'm, yeah, quite excited by it and definitely something that I'm going to dig further on. And Andrew himself said he wanted to dig further on too. So that's brilliant. If you want to sign up, to be one of the first to try Circle when it launches the start of the Premier League season, head over to Play Circle, which is C-I-R-C-L, so playcircle.com. And if you want to check out Tiny, that is on tinycapital.com to see all the incredible businesses that Andrew is a part of. Uh, and of course, if you're thinking about selling your business, um, they have their thesis on the website on the types of companies they'd like to buy. Finally, Andrew is very active on Twitter. So if you go to his handle on A. Wilkinson, you'll see everything he's up to and post some great tweets on there as well. So worth having a look at. And as ever, if you want to head over to my startup playground, that is on horseplay.ventures. And if you want to submit your deck for pre-seed seed investment, you can do it through there and we'll take a look at it. And if you want to pitch for a future series of pitch deck, drop us your pitch through the website too. And as ever, if you can share this episode, share the podcast with people that you know would love it, I hugely appreciate it.